Sometimes when you want to see something new, it's easier to look through the eyes of a child. And this is a children's movie called Miracle Maker about the Last Supper. What I love so much about it is it shows the Last Supperness of the Last Supper. And of course, I love that Peter is a Scotsman. But, but aside from that, it shows the depth of what really happened at that moment. And we're going to talk about that and try to fill in some pieces maybe you didn't know about that last dinner with Jesus. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you. We, we hope that you feel that it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in this church. It really is an amazing staff. It's an amazing uh, church uh, leaders and it's amazing lights and all that stuff. But it's the Holy Spirit that's really working here that makes it special. So we want to lift that up. We want to listen, uh, lift up those who are listening on podcasts, especially from Houston, Texas. A couple of members from Highlands moved to Houston, and we welcome you to our podcast today. So this is our final week of our series called Table for Two. And as you can see, we have the setting, the two table settings behind us with a cross. And we've been looking at the meals of Jesus. Again, Jesus didn't just come to teach, to preach, to heal, to die, to come back to life again. He came to be with us. He could have just as easily had come and just died, but he came to be with us. And we've looked for these last nine weeks at the meals of Jesus. And, and in this series, we've looked at the abundance that Jesus brings to us, the presence, the being with us. And just we began nine weeks ago looking at the uh, wedding of Cana, and we saw the very first miracle of Jesus. And then we had a wonderful message from Israel Gonzalez where we talked about Levi who came to Christ. We saw uh, Zacchaeus and Jesus, and Jesus went to that town, Jericho, that was kind of like the Barstow of the Middle East back in the day. And he brought, uh, sorry for our Barstow listeners today, uh, we, uh, we looked at the Jesus transforming the loaves into 5,000 and the fish, and we saw Jesus breakfast with Jesus. We saw the only way to really connect with Jesus is to be vulnerable in the morning, and we looked at the road to Emmaus. And today we're going to look at the final piece to this, that is the Last Supper. And again, last night we had a wonderful dinner together. That was really the amazing thing about that evening, was just being with each other with the power of God with us in our presence. So I don't know about you, but when you think about the, the Last Supper, I don't know what you, comes to your mind, but something like this might come to your mind. This is Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, one of the most famous paintings ever. And it's, of course, a beautiful painting, but one of the things I see and I look at and I think about is it seems posed, doesn't it? It seems like they're almost sitting there waiting for someone to paint them. It's two-dimensional. They were all lined up and their heads are all turned exactly the right way. And it just doesn't seem like a meal to me. And so what I want to do is talk about this sacramental piece to our faith as a meal. And so we begin by talking about this as a festival. This happened every year. The festival of the unleavened bread or it's the festival of Passover. Or it's the festival of Seder. And there would have been a joyful, extremely happy time. There would have been music playing and people would have been you know, dancing as they came in and they would have been kicking up their feet like such and such and they would come to this meal just here and... Okay, that's enough music. Thank you. Okay, that's good. Thanks. <laughs> Got to work on that for the next service. But it wasn't just this one-dimensional piece. It was a beautiful dinner that they had together. To tell you a little bit about this dinner, they would have begun with the washing, the mikvah waters. And we just saw Caitlin and Hannah be baptized by these waters. The disciples and Jesus would have been baptized in these similar waters. And we get the idea of baptism for many things, but partly this ritual washing, the cleansing of our souls. And that would have happened right before this communion, this Seder festival. Somebody in the middle of the, right at the beginning of this meal would have started to tell the story of Moses. 
Maybe it would have been a child who would have been preparing this or an adult, but they told the story of a man named Moshe who came out of Egypt and brought the Israelites, and that was a part of this. For thousands of years, people had told that story right before they had this meal. And the pieces of this meal are so important. Uh, There was, of course, bread. Now, the bread that we have today is leavened. That means it has yeast in it. But the bread they had didn't, of course, because it was a symbol of the Israelites leaving Egypt. And they didn't have time to let their bread rise. And so they left with this unleavened bread. It's like the crackers. And the bread would have been striped. It would have had stripes down it. And this would have been a symbol of Jesus' being tortured right before he died. It would have been pierced. A tiny piece of the bread would have been broken. And this was a a symbol of Jesus' piercing. The wine that was served, and we serve juice today, but the wine that was served was an important part. Again, it was a symbol of the covenant that happened, but the Spirit of God coming through Egypt, and he protected the Israelites who put blood over their doors. And the image was that if you put blood of the lamb over the door, that you would be saved from death. And what Jesus then reincorporates or re-says here is that if you put my blood over the door of your heart, not your house, that you will be saved in an everlasting way in life with me. So this was a part of it. There were other pieces to this. A lot of people don't realize that there wasn't just two things at this meal. There were lots of nice, wonderful pieces of food. There was lamb, beautiful, perfectly cooked lamb. It had been roasting all day long. You could smell it coming in. There were figs. Uh, There were olives. Think of the food of this area. It was exactly the same food. Uh, There was parsley, always parsley. And guess what? There was always horseradish. True, there was horseradish at the Last Supper. That was part of the book of Leviticus. It was an important part of the meal. So all of these things were important. But the most important thing was the cup. Actually, there were four cups. And this was a large ritual practice. And the very first, now Seder means order. It means order. And so this, every, everything was very ordered. For thousands of years, you'd have exactly the same thing. So they would have the first cup, and the, that was the cup of deliverance. So they would all have a toast, and they would maybe remember being delivered out of Egypt into the promised land. That was the first cup. And then a little bit later in the meal, they would have another cup, and that was the cup of the plagues. Now this cup, of course, you remember the plagues, the frogs, and the locusts, and all of those pieces that all of those plagues that came around, but they wouldn't drink that. They would only dip their finger in the plagues because they wanted to symbolize that they didn't actually been affected by the plagues. Remember this as we look at Judas dipping his finger later into this. Now, the third cup is the key. The third cup is the cup of redemption. And this is where Jesus breaks into this extremely ornate and intricate meal and offers himself. Again, Jesus is saying, I am the cup of redemption. And that's where we pick up our text today. We're looking at Mark, the oldest gospel, and we're looking at exactly what Jesus said and did at the third cup, at the very highlight and the most important part of this meal. It begins this way, while they were reclining at the table, they were reclining at a table, not sitting. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me who is eating with me. Again, this would have been really strange This is a scheduled thing. You say exactly what you're supposed to say. Have you ever watched evening news and and, and you're watching the news and it's just, you know, bad news after bad news, but then somebody breaks in with breaking news and you sort of don't want to see what that breaking news is because you know it's going to be bad news? This was breaking news. They broke in the middle of this this dinner 
And Jesus then says, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. I recognize this for the first time this last week. I thought it was everyone together saying, surely not I. But actually it was one by one. Jesus looking at everyone in the eye and each of them saying, surely not I. Surely not I. Surely not I. Twelve times. Jesus said it is one of the twelve. One who dips, remember what I just said? The one who dips his finger in the olive oil. Now this could have also been the, the cup. That's the one. Now remember, that was the cup of the plagues. That would make sense that Judas would have dipped his finger at that very moment into the plagues. That was the bad thing. The Son of Man will go just as it is written, said Jesus. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had never been born. While eating, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks. Actually, the exact prayer is much more beautiful. He took bread. He took the unleavened bread. And he said, blessed are you, Lord God, who is king of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Or do you want to hear the exact words of Jesus in Hebrew? They're so beautiful. Baruch atah Adonai Elohim Eloheinu melech halam ba'orei hagafan. And then Jesus took a cup. Now, what cup is this? The third cup. The cup of redemption. And he redefines the cup of redemption. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Take and drink, I tell you the truth. You will not eat of the vine, or I will not eat of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Now, this was the most jarring part of the meal. Jesus is saying in the middle of this ritual dinner that he's going to die. Now, in truth, the disciples knew about this for a long time, but they just didn't want to think about it. But Jesus says, I am going to be dying. But I will come back to life again, and you will join me. And then this is my favorite part of the text. You see, that's just the third cup. The fourth cup comes along, and the fourth cup is the cup of praise. It's the cup of Hillel. It's the cup of joy. And that's how the text really ends. They have the fourth cup. And it says they sung a hymn, just as we will, at the end of our worship service today, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. And that was the beginning of the end. Well, there's so much to talk about in this incredible meal. There's so many pieces to it. And of course, this is the sacramental piece of our faith. This is the promise of eternal life. This is everything. But what I want to do is dig into it a little bit today and lift up one of my favorite things about this meal. And that is in the very same space we have death and life. We have sadness and joy. We have heaviness and levity right there in that place. And I think if Jesus was here today, he would say, I think that's what you need to hear today. That life is not just about joy and it's not just about grief. It's about both of these things. And I transform both of these things. Have you ever had something happen to you that was both sad and joyful at the same time? I'll never forget when I was 12 years old, I had a chance to visit my grandma who lives in Scotland. And I had a chance to just spend time with my grandma, just one grandchild. And if you are a grandparent and you have grandkids, try that sometime. It will help you. But the kid will also enjoy just being with you for that day. But I'll never forget, I grew up in Boise, Idaho. And so it was a long way to fly to go to Scotland. And that whole week I spent with my grandma. Thing is, I knew, though, this heavy moment was going to come when I had to say goodbye to grandma. And I don't know if you've ever had this feeling before, but I had this heavy feeling that I'd never see her again. 
that she would die. And again, I lived in Boise and Scotland is such a long way away. And I just had this ominous sense that this day was coming when I would have to embrace her and say goodbye to her and know that I wouldn't see her again until the kingdom come. I was so sad. A 12-year-old carrying this on my shoulders all week long. But I was really excited also because I was going to leave on Friday and go visit my cousins in England. And they knew how to play a game called cricket. It's a flat bat, and I was not good at baseball. So I figured this was going to help my game a lot. And so it was this weird combination of heaviness and levity. It was sadness, and it was joy. I remember as the day came forward when I was going to say goodbye to Grandma, I'll never forget saying goodbye to her at the bus station, and there she was. And I, I was just, just gushing with tears. It was so sad. And I remember crying, I love you, Grandma. And she was like, oh, what is all of this? And I think she knew too, but, oh, what is all of this, Graham? Quit, you're crying. You're going to be okay. The wee girly man from Boise, huh? <laughs> like, I know. Like, we'll ride on the red double-decker buses again someday. It's going to be okay. What I think the disciples were feeling was this ominous sense that this moment was going to come. They knew, but they didn't want to know. They've been putting it off, but Jesus breaks through that and says, this is going to happen. But at the very moment, he says, but it's going to be okay that I will have this meal again with you in the kingdom, and it will be full of joy. So I just want to think about this for a moment. I want to talk about the grief of life and the joy of life. Because again, I think what God wants us to think about today is that life is about both. And I don't know about you, but I know so many people who just want to focus on the joy and just ignore that other side. And then I also know people on that focus on the grief and forget anything to do with joy. But what Jesus, I think, wants to say to us is that he can transform both of these things into something much higher. So let's talk about the first one first, the harder one. Now, if we were to look at this as a scale, we might look at this as a great scale, if you will, of justice in the universe. And on one side, we have grief. And on the other side of this scale, we have joy. And what I believe Jesus is saying is that we've got to have an equal measure of both. So let's talk about, we first have to recognize the heaviness of life. Does anybody here besides me like good news, bad news jokes? They're very predictable, but I do like them. But they're always very formulaic. Like, it goes like this. So the doctor comes to a guy and says, I have good news and bad news. The good news first. The good news is you have 24 hours left to live. That's the good news, he says. Well, what's the bad news? Well, the bad news is I forgot to tell you yesterday. They usually go something like that. Or you've heard about the one where the the nurse comes in and she talks to the expectant father and nurse says well good news we've got twins and not just one baby wow he said i work for wrigley's double spearmint gum company that's kind of cool i work for wrigley's and we're gonna have twins and she goes back and she comes back a little while and says actually it's triplets he says i guess that's good news he said well i can get a job with 3m and so then he goes away and uh, or she goes away and she comes back a little while later and she says, i, I got some really good news it's gonna be a lot more than three he said, uh, and so the, on the way out, the person says to him, well, what's up? And he says, I think I need to get a job at 7-Up. You've heard, you've heard these. Not very funny, but so I love them. But what I find is that a lot of people, and especially Christ followers, only want to focus on this side of the equation. Now, this is really important. You've got to do that. But 
we also have to be in touch with the grief side of life. It's a big part of life. It's an important part of our faith. Next slide. Um, I'm not sure. Oh, yes. There was a terrible, sad situation this last week. I don't know if you remember uh, watching. I don't know if you watch entertainment television, but um, there was this uh, terribly sad uh, suicide of this guy who was married to one of the women who was on the television show Housewives of Beverly Hills. And uh, I just want to say this because there have been a lot of people who have taken their own lives this last week in our community, in our relatively small community. I can't say this more defatically, undefatically. Do not do that. Choose life. Choose life. But if you ever decide not to choose life in some way, you come talk to me. Is that a promise that you will fulfill? Okay. So this terrible situation of this guy who decided to take his own life this last week. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this show, The Housewives of Beverly Hills. I happen to have watched it once. One of the things I was struck by is how this show is really all about this side. I mean, it's about one tummy tuck and whatever they do down in Beverly Hills after the other. It's about one party, one uptime, one... And I just have this feeling that if somehow that this show, these people could have connected with this grief side a little more, that, that it wouldn't have been so incongruous. You know, Carl Jung, uh, one of the great uh, psychologists once said that, that life is about figuring out a balance of both of these things. I, I had a friend who was a bodybuilder named Larry Scott. I knew him in Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Larry. He actually won the Mr. Olympia Award back in the day. You can see he had these huge arms. Now, this is Larry Scott when I knew him, and he is a little older, but as you can see, he definitely still has large arms. I remember asking him one day, I said, Larry, how did you get those huge arms? And I said, how can I do that? And of course, I obviously did not follow the Larry Scott School of Bodybuilding. But I remember him saying, first, you've got to work out. I remember going, work out. Good one. Then he said, you know what's funny about getting big biceps is you actually need to work your triceps in order to get big biceps. And I've checked this out with like a lot of trainers, and they've said, yes, actually, if you work an opposite muscle structure, it somehow does something to kind of develop the opposite muscle. And as I've thought about this, and obviously I've applied this to my life in so many different ways, this obviously applies to what we're talking about. What Jesus might say to us is we need to develop this muscle structure if we want to be a part of this muscle structure. Now, I want to be real clear about this, not grovel or wallow or just swim in the grief. That's not healthy. But just recognize it. Just recognize it. Jesus did that in the midst of this celebration. But the second thing is, and it's very important, that we also have to recognize the joy of life. Whatever is happening. Whatever is happening. This little boy uh, was playing t-ball the other day, and this uh, kind of stranger came up to the t-ball game, and he was watching these kids play. And he goes to the kid and says, well, how's the game going? And the kid goes, uh, well, you know, it's going pretty well, actually. We're real excited. And the guy said, well, what's the score? And he said, oh, it's 18 to nothing. We're losing 18 to nothing. The guy goes, well... That's amazing that you're so excited about this game, even though you're losing 18 to nothing. Kid goes, well, why would I be discouraged? We're not even up to bat yet. <laughs> I like that. That's what we're talking about. A little bit of joy in the midst of this stuff, right? 
I uh, live over in the golf course over here. It's one of the old houses in Paso Robles, old golf course ranch house. And, you know, the houses aren't fantastic, but they have great yards. And I have this estuary, this aviary, literally in my backyard. We have so many birds in my backyard. And I remember moving in there going, wow, isn't this amazing? All these birds and owls and like hawks and like all kinds of warblers and and the finches and the robin redbreast. I mean, the whole nine yards. Well, every night I go to bed about 11 o'clock and there is one bird in the yard, which I wouldn't be upset if he moved away. His name, I don't know what he is. I've given him many names, but he's a cross, I think, between a nightingale and, and a mockingbird, maybe. I don't know, but he's definitely some twisted combination of these two things. And every single night, no matter what is happening, and I'll go to bed at 11 every night. Some days I'm a little bit discouraged. Some days I'm really encouraged. Some days I'm just full of life. But that bird is out there every single night with the same song. And it goes something like this. And then it repeats. And then he'll do a little variation. And I tell you, there have been moments... But I really think that's also what God is saying here. That in the toughness of life, we've got to sing that song too. You know what I love about this meal? is For thousands of years, the Jewish people have had this meal. Now, as you know, the history of the Jewish people has not always been a very uplifting. They had Babylonian exile. They were in slavery several times. During the Holocaust, they had this meal. No matter what was happening, they had it. The other thing I love so much about it is, you know how easy it would have been for Jesus to go out in a hill and say, I got an announcement, I'm going to die tomorrow, so I'll see you there. But he wanted to have this festival, this joyful occasion right in the middle of this very hard time. And God wants us to do the same. But the final thing is this. Jesus transforms the grief and the joy in our lives into something so much bigger, so much powerful more powerful and he promises us eternal life through this this very thing uh, one of my favorite preachers is a guy by the name of dale bruner who's a great preacher and he has a little, he had a little girl back in the day when he was a younger pastor who would come in and give him a hug during his sermon writing time which is really wonderful but his little daughter came in every two seconds to give him a hug and so she would come in, give him a hug, and he'd try to write, and then she'd go and then come and give him another hug, and then he'd write and another hug. And he really couldn't focus on this. So he said, honey, could you just kind of give me a hug after I'm done with this? And she said, okay. So she goes over to the door. As she's about to hit the door, she makes a U-turn, and she goes back to her dad, and she gives him a hug. And he says, well, I, I kind of thought you were going to wait until I was done with my sermon. She said, I, I know. I just wanted you to see what you have to look forward to. That's what this meal is about. God wants to tell us that he wants us to see what we have to look forward to. That, that this meal transforms and transcends us. That it's so much bigger even than the joy of our lives. And that this will happen again with him in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who wants to be a part of that is welcome today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this incredible day in which we've had two baptisms. We'll have five more tomorrow, five more souls, two wonderful souls here. We ask that you would bless this communion table for us. 
Help us to understand the full dimension of redemption through you. Help us to somehow take in the the impact of what you did on the cross. And that this meal is so much bigger than any of us. Baruch Atah Adonai.